Great. Uh, Can I pray for us as we begin? Father God, thank you for the chance now to come uh, and open God's word together. Lord, I pray that you'll help us see clearly something of Jesus, uh, our need of him, uh, and Lord, what it looks like to live for you in response to all you've done for us this week. Uh, Thank you for your word and open it and open our eyes to it, we pray this evening. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, now, hopefully, if any of you know me, uh, or if you know my wife, Lisa, you'll know that we love our sport, right? We both play hockey. We're hockey players for Bista Hockey Club, the mighty Bista. Uh, both top of the league in our respective leads, and we both had games yesterday. My game didn't go so well, actually, yesterday. But imagine, uh, as I was playing my match for Bista Hockey Club, uh, there's proof. Here we go. There we go. You see me in the middle? There he is in black. What a guy. Um, imagine as I was playing my match yesterday, playing for Bista Hockey Club, and um, it was filmed, right? They, they were maybe making a highlight montage of the games that were going on, and the, the filming of the game, the highlights, uh, the best bits of our game were put on YouTube, okay, for the world to access and for see and to see. And imagine as the highlights of our game go out into the wide world, it just so happens to fall upon the desk of the England hockey coach. It's hard to believe, but imagine it happened. The England hockey coach saw my highlights. And he thought, we're a bit short of the minute, maybe a few injuries in the England team. And he gives me a call and he says, Nathan, I'd love you to come down. We've got a game at the weekend. We, We need you. Come and play for us. Wow. It's unlikely, don't get me wrong, but imagine it happened. The England coach calls me up and says, we'd like you to come and play for us. I don't know about you, but if if it wasn't me and it was someone else, I'd tune in, right? Imagine you saw me playing for England, you'd be watching. It'd be on television on Saturday, you'd be watching to see how it would do. And there I am, the, the national anthems are going, and the team, the England team, begin to run out, and they're wearing... The glorious England colours, the red of England. You see one player, another player, another player. And then all of a sudden you see me running out to play for England. But I'm wearing this. Right? Bista Village, Bista Hockey Club, the colours of Bista. I wonder what you'd think as you saw me running out to represent England, but playing in the Bista kit. You'd be like, Nathan, what are you doing? It's just embarrassing, right? Haven't you got it? You don't play for Bista anymore, right? You play for a new team, and a new team needs a new kit. Get rid of what was old and put on what is new. You don't play for Bista in the MBBO Division One anymore, no. You play for England internationally. A new team needs new clothes. But I think, unfortunately, as I look at my life and... Maybe if you look at yours, that's often a picture, isn't it, of us? We're playing for a new team, but we live as if we're playing for an old team. We've been given a new identity in Jesus, but we live as though nothing has changed. And so tonight, in Colossians chapter 3, we're going to be thinking about what does it look like to live out who God has made us to be? What does it look like, in other words, to wear the kit of Christ 
in our lives. And the key is our starting point in Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 to 4. So if you've got a Bible, why don't you open it? It'll be on the screen as well, some of the bits we're going to be looking at tonight. But please do have God's Word open in front of you. And let me read to us Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 to 4. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So our first point tonight is how do we live as those made alive in Christ? Well, firstly, we need to remember who we are. Remember who you are. Now, that might sound a a silly thing. It's not often we wake up in the morning, we look in the mirror and say, who are you? Right? Who, Who am I? What's my name? But often as Christians, we so easily forget all that we've been made to be in Christ, our identity, who we are in him. And as we read through those verses, you see Paul clearly outlines lots of things about this new identity we've received in Jesus. Firstly, something in the past. You notice there are two things that have already happened for us. You have been raised, past tense. You died, past tense. Here's something that Paul tells us that we have in Christ, our identity. We have a new life. The old, the old me, the old you has gone. It's died. And a new you, a new identity has been made alive. Just as Christ died and was risen back to new life, our old self has died. And we have been raised with Christ to new life. In Jesus, we have passed from death to life. And so our first part of our identity in Jesus, past tense, that we can know for sure now, is that we have been raised. We have been made alive. You, I, tonight, are alive in Jesus. We have been raised. But not just past tense, what about in the present? What is our identity now? You'll see it there. Your life is now hidden. And what a comfort that is in a world full of uncertainties and insecurities to know that this new life, this new identity being made alive, being raised in Christ is hidden. It's safe. It's secure. Nothing can touch it. Nothing can change it. It's safe and secure. And how can we be sure? Well, look who's got it. It's hidden in God with Christ, the one who gave us this new identity, is the one who will keep it for us. Who are you? You're raised, made alive in Christ. Who are you? You're hidden, hidden in Christ. And also hidden in the sense, even though our life is safe and secure, it's still hidden in the sense that it's not obvious to the world around us. Imagine that tomorrow morning you go out into the village of Longcrend and you walk through the streets. As people look at you, what do they see? Well, they don't see clearly this new identity that you've been given. It's hidden in some sense. The full glory of who God has made you to be is hidden from the watching world around you. And so is the glory of Jesus and his personhood. But one day that will change. Because notice the future tense 
who we are, past tense, who we are, present tense. But in the future, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. The identity of Jesus won't stay hidden for long. The identity of who we are in Jesus and its full glory won't be hidden forever. On that day, when Jesus appears, his presence, his power, and who we are in him will be in display in its full glory. And it's a certain future, a certain future, a glorious future where we will be with our Lord and Savior forever. This is who we are. Remember it. You have been raised. You've been made alive in Jesus. You are hidden right now, safe and secure in Jesus. And you will appear one day with him forever. Raised, hidden, appear. That's your identity. Remember it. What does it look like to live out who you've been made to be in Jesus? Number one, remember who you are. What a thing that would be to wake up tomorrow morning and say to yourself, as you look in the mirror, not who are you? I don't know your name. It's I know who you are. You're raised. You're hidden. You will appear. That's your true identity. And I think the, the one thing I want to zoom in on as we finish this first point of remember who you are is that who you are has changed. The fundamental nature of who you are has changed. Let me help us think about this. I've been thinking this last few weeks about superheroes, right? We've got the holiday club coming up and our theme is superheroes. So I've had superheroes on the brain. And so I was thinking how best to explain what our new identity is in Christ. And I think it's best summed up or one of the ways to sum up is the difference between Batman and Spider-Man. Okay, I wonder who your favorite superhero is. Maybe it's one of those. Batman and Spider-Man. Now, Batman's great. Okay, Bruce Wayne. Okay, there he is. He's this guy with so amazing uh, a car and, and suit. And he's great. I love Bruce Wayne. But the thing is, when you dig down deep into Bruce Wayne, he's just really a rich guy with lots of cool toys. Right? That's all Batman is. He's a rich guy with lots of cool toys. When you dig down, when you take off everything, when you strip him back, he's still the same guy underneath. He's Bruce Wayne, but with just a suit on and cool toys. But Spider-Man's a bit different. You see, Spider-Man uh, is a guy called Peter Parker. And one day he was bitten by a radioactive spider and something on the inside changed. <laughs> he was transformed. Something from the outside bit him and transformed him internally. Peter Parker became Spider-Man. And now he's able to do things that he wasn't previously able to do. And so that's why Spider-Man's always better than Batman, because he's been changed internally. And so what Colossians 3, 1 to 4 is telling me and telling us tonight is in Jesus, you're Spider-Man. Right? You are Spider-Man in Jesus. In that, something from the outside, externally, has come and bitten you in that sense, transformed you, made you new internally. It's not that you just became religious and got some nice new toys like prayer and the Bible, but nothing essentially different has been made about you. No. In Jesus, you have been transformed on the inside. Why? <laughs> Not that you can just swing from buildings as long as we might like to do that, but so that you can become 
the person that God has given you, has made you to be. You have a new power, a new identity to be able to live out a new person that you've been made to be. So you're Spider-Man, not Batman. Okay? And that's where the rest of the passage in Colossians chapter 3 is going to help us work through. Remember who you are, but then what does it look like to become who you are? And that's our point number two. Remember who you are. Oh, skip ahead. Become who you are. But again, what does that mean? Okay, it's a funny kind of phrase to say, become who you are. Okay, and I think the passage gives us three practical things, and hopefully it will be practical to, to flesh this out a little bit. But firstly, I want to make a bit more of a general point just to help us understand what it means to be who you are. There's the picture. I gave you a sneak glimpse. There's me three years ago uh, with the lovely Lisa. She's not just a hockey player. She got married to me three years ago. And there's the marriage day. We were stood here and we got married three years ago. Um, but since that day, um, even though I became a husband on that day, um, I've had to go through a process of learning how to become a husband. I became a husband, but I learned for three years how to become a husband. I couldn't live as though I was single anymore once I became a husband. Things like, you can't um, not make your bed. You know, people appreciate making the bed when you leave the house. People appreciate conversation. I didn't know that. Right? People like to be talked to and listened to. It's amazing. The things that, as a single guy, I was like, oh, I didn't really know this was a big deal, but it really is a big deal. I had to learn how to become a husband. It took practice for me to kick off, get rid of the old me, who I used to be, and to put on the new me, who I now am. And so three years in, I'm no more or no less a husband than I was in day one. But for three years, I have learned to become the man that I became on day one. Does that make sense? So this is what Paul is calling us to do. He's calling us to remember who we are, but then become who we are. Step into the identity that God has given you to be. So, for the rest of our time, we're going to look at three practical things from the package of what does this look like? What does this look like to become, step by step, who we are? And the first thing jumps us back to verses 1 and 2. We have a new center. We have a new center. Let me read again those verses, uh, chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Grab a drink. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Now, Paul begins by telling us to set our hearts. Our hearts being set in our our passions, our, our focus. And where should it be? On things above. Now, I wonder what you're passionate about. And how would people know? What are you passionate about? And how would people know? Maybe they look at how you spend your time. Maybe they look at your diary, right? And you'd open it in front of them and say, oh, I know what she's passionate about because that's how she spends her time. Maybe they'd look at how you spend your money. 
They look in your wallet and say, oh yeah, I know what she's passionate about because this is how she spends her money. Her energy, her talents, her gifts. How would people know what you're passionate about? And what are you passionate about? Well, here Paul tells the Colossians and he tells us to set our hearts, to set our passions on things above. Let your passions be about him, about Jesus. Let his goals shape our goals. Let his plans shape our plans. Let his purposes shape our purposes. Set your hearts on things above. But not only is his focus on our hearts, but he also talks about our minds. Set your minds on things above. Engage your brain, is essentially what he says. Don't just hope it happens. Engage your brain actively. Set about setting your minds on things above. Actively fill your minds with things of Jesus. And again, we we fill our minds with so much, don't we? Over Christmas, my dad revealed to me that he got an Amazon Prime account. So what do you think I did? I got his login details. Of course I did. And so I've been enjoying the bounty of Amazon Prime since Christmas. It's been amazing. But it's been unhelpful, I'd say, as, as, as well as being amazing. You sit down to watch a 20-minute episode, and six episodes later, you think, wow, where did the time go? Right? Where you fill your mind with things we watch. Things we listen to, things we read, so easy to infiltrate our minds with so much from the world around us. But what's Paul calling us to do? Set your minds on things above, on Jesus, and do battle with your mind. It's, it's an active word. It's, it's seek those things which are above. Turn it away from what is false and turn it to what is true, who Jesus is. Seated at the right hand of God. He's Lord, he's king, he's in charge, he rules, he reigns, and he's our savior. Fix your minds, fix your hearts on him. Set it on who we are in him. Raised, hidden, we will appear. Set our hearts, our minds actively, daily on truth. How does this happen? What does this look like? Well, I think one of the most powerful and practical ways is our use of God's word, isn't it? That we don't just read the Bible, but we ingest the Bible. And I think a helpful way to think about this would be the difference between a textbook and a love letter. Right? Think about how you read a textbook. For those of you maybe going through exams at the Minimati, I don't know if you've got exams coming up, maybe. And you read a textbook, you open it up, and you read it in such a way to cram as much information into your head so that you can just regurgitate it later. Right? You, you, you read as little as possible to get the best possible grade. Right? That's how I used to read my textbooks. But that's not how we're to read the Bible. Right? We're to read the Bible much more like a love letter. Or a love email or a love text, whatever it looks like today. We don't often give or receive letters anymore. Uh, maybe it'd be something like receiving a Valentine's letter or a card when it's coming up. What do you do when you receive a letter handwritten, written to you, a letter? Well, you probably hide it away, first of all. You don't want to open it in front of other people, right? You want to find a secret place, a special place, and you open it up. You say, oh, to Nathan. Oh, you open it up. And it says, dear Nathan, what does that mean? 
right? Dear Nathan, you know, dear, am I dear to her? Or is, it, is she just saying hello? I don't know. What does it mean? You, you look at every word, you look at every line, you ask the questions, what's it mean? What's going on here? You ingest what God's word is saying. And that's how we are to read the Bible. Taking God's word and letting it go from our minds to our hearts. Letting it penetrate our minds and our hearts. And taking it out during the day. You know, pondering it over. Bringing it out both in the morning, in the evening and throughout the day. Letting God's truth affect our minds. Letting God's truth affect our hearts and setting our minds and hearts on them. In other words, every day, gospel yourself. Gospel yourself every day, setting our hearts on minds on Jesus. So there's the first thing, the practical first way that Paul helps us think about what does it look like to become who we are, a new center. Jesus, set our minds on him. Secondly, new clothes. New clothes, number two. And again, Paul here uses a metaphor to to help us understand what it looks like to practice this new identity. And remember how we began? We had me playing for England, but wearing the Bista kit. There it is. The Bista kit. And it's silly, isn't it? It's silly to be playing for a new team, but wearing the old kit. I had to take off the old kit and put on the new kit. New identity requires new clothes. And here, Paul calls us to do just that. You'll see the language in uh, verse 9 there. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, this kind of putting off, putting on. He talks about it again in verse 8. He talks about ridding yourselves, get rid of the old. And in verse 12, clothe yourself, put on a new self. Put off, put on. And uh, throughout this passage, there's, there's lists of characteristics and attributes of things we are to take off and to put on. He calls us to take off lust and to put on love. To take off anger and put on patience. Take off malice, put on forgiveness. Take off slander, put on kindness. Take off lies, put on humility. This idea of putting off the old self and putting on the new self. Not because we're trying to be good people, but because we have this new identity and we want to become who we've been made to be. Now, let me give you a bit of an example of what this might look like uh, for you and what it's looked like for me this past week. Uh, If we read again verse 9, it says, Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices. And as I was reading through some of these lists this week, this one kind of jumped out at me. Um, Since I was young, (laughs) I think back to a story that I tell um, when I was in primary school. Um, you know how at the end of a, a, a week, um, uh, on a Friday, they tell you to write like a diary of your weekend. You know, what did you get up to? And you come in on a Monday morning and you read it out to the class. This is what I got up to the weekend as, you know, a little boy in reception or year one. And so I read out what I'd done over this weekend. Dear Miss, over this weekend in my garden, we had a family of badgers come to stay. 
And we had an amazing weekend looking after the badgers. It was amazing. We took, we colored pictures and we, we took photographs and our family had an amazing time looking after the badgers in our garden. The teacher loved the story, right? And she loved the story so much that she phoned my mum up and said, we'd love to have a class trip to come and see the badgers. We've heard so much about them. To which my mum said, what badgers? <laughs> right, I had, even from a young age, I had this desire for people to like me, to approve of me. And so what did I do? I made things up. I played with the truth. I exaggerated stories. And as I was reading this over this week, and I've reflected over my life, it's something that I've kind of come back to again and again. I have a tendency, when there's an opportunity to lie or fudge the truth or exaggerate, I'll tell a story or say a thing that might not be quite true. Why? So that you like me. So you think I'm good. So that my approval comes from you. And so I was thinking as I read this verse, it tells me to not to lie. But why? I quite enjoy it. Why, why stop lying? What's the answer? Because it's no longer who I am. It's no longer who I am. I don't need to lie to look better to other people. Why? Because I, everything, I have everything I need in Jesus. I have the freedom and power and identity to be able to tell the truth, to put off what was old, lies and deceit, and to put on what is new, truth. So what could that look like for you this week to go through this list and see what is it that you need to put off? What is it that you need to put on? I heard a helpful story to help us think about this. Augustine, who was an early church leader, um, before he was a Christian, uh, he was known to be a bit of a womanizer. Uh, and he, even when he became a Christian, it was something he struggled with, kind of lust and temptation um, and, and womanizing. Um, and so one day, after he'd become a Christian, um, he was walking down the street and he heard a voice calling out to him, a, a lady that he used to know. And she said, Augustine, it's me. And Augustine turned to her and said, I know, but it's not me. It's not me. He wasn't who he used to be. He'd been made new. He had a new identity in Christ. And so we put on the new clothing of Christ because we are no longer the person we used to be. We've been made new. And if you've been made new, why keep living as the old you? Right. If you've started play for England, why play for Bicester anymore? If you've been freed from prison, why go back to living in a prison cell? If you've been given an inheritance, why live on the street homeless? You've been made new, so live out who you've been made to be. And I think the final thing to say on this point is, this is something we should take seriously. This idea of putting off the old, putting on the new, is something we should take seriously. Notice the language of Paul there. Put it to death. Kill it. Be rigorous. Root it out. This old self, this sinful way. It's not you anymore. Stop doing it. Put it off. And put on who you've been made to be in Jesus. You'll get it wrong. You'll fail. 
You'll mess up. But come to God, receive grace, and go again. Put off, put on, put off, put on, put off, put on. Every day, a daily activity of putting off our old and putting on our new self. So we've had a new center, fixing our eyes on Jesus. We've had a new clothing, putting off and putting on. And finally, we've got a new community. A new community. Because as we focus in on verses 15 to 17, the picture that Paul gives us is not an image of a, an isolated, solitary Christian trying to live out this identity by themselves as an island. No, it's a picture of a community doing it together. You'll notice that the word, there's a lot of kind of you, 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 you. Well, the you is not singular, it's plural. So let me read it again. And just to help us understand what Paul's saying, highlight the green there. He's talking to all of them as he said this. Let me read this and it'll become clear. Let the peace of Christ rule in all of your hearts. He's not just speaking to one, all of your hearts together. Since as members of one body, all of you were called to peace and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among all of you richly, as all of you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in all of your hearts. And whatever you all do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. See the picture? This is something that they're all doing together in community, helping each other to live as the people that God has made them to be. And there's so much we could say on this section, but I just want us to zoom in on two things. What does it look like to live out this in community? Well, I think the first thing is teach and admonish one another. Again, this is a strong picture, strong word he uses here. It's almost the idea of challenging one another. The idea of knowing each other's business and calling each other back to the truth. Living honest, living transparent lives with one another. Not being fake religious people, but being the honest, broken people that we are. Now, and this is so hard. This is so anti what the world's saying around us. As you look at social media, the thing that it's telling you is the last thing you want to do is to portray a broken image about yourself to the world around you. You want to present this perfect image. You know, you, you go on Instagram or Twitter or Facebook, whatever it might be, and you show them your, your perfect home, the perfect food you've made, your, your, your perfect holiday, your perfect children. Perfect, perfect, perfect. Oh, aren't you jealous? Don't you want my life? This idea of portraying a perfect image to the world around you. But the Christian community should be the opposite, shouldn't it? It's a place where we can say, you know what, I'm not okay. I'm not perfect. I'm actually quite broken. (laughs) The kids are crazy. And I don't quite know what to do. I can't cope. My marriage is tough. I've got anxiety. It's a place where we can be honest and real with another. To come clean. (laughs) And to be safe. Because we're not saved by our performance. We're saved by grace. And so we are able freely to tell each other how it really is. Again, here's two pictures to help us think about this. We've got the hospital and we've got the job interview. And often we treat church as a job interview, right? We put on our best suit. 
right? We walk into church and we try to present this amazing portrayal of ourselves. I've got everything sorted. I'm fine. I want to impress you. Where actually church should be more like a hospital waiting room, shouldn't it? A bunch of broken people, but waiting to get fixed. A bunch of broken people being restored together, willing to challenge each other, willing to call each other back to the truth of the gospel as we help each other remember who we are and become day by day who God has made us to be. So what does this look like? Well, make sure you have people in your life that you can do this with. It's hard to do it all together as one big church, but they can be done in smaller groups. Make sure you have people that you can be honest with, that know you and you know them, and you give them permission to speak truth into your life. Because we have blind spots, don't we? We can be blind to our own issues. We need sometimes we need other people to speak into our lives and to point us back to truth. So who are those people for you? There's a challenge to go away and think about who are your people in this community of people that you can call upon to teach and admonish you. And finally, thankfulness. Thankfulness in community. Again, you'll notice the repetition in verse 15, and be thankful. In verse 16, uh, with the gratitude in all your heart. In verse 17, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Thankfulness, gratitude, thankfulness. You see, a thankful heart is a soil in which the old self finds it hard to get a foothold. A thankful heart is a soil in which the old self finds it hard to get a foothold. A truly, th- a truly thankful heart finds it hard to be angry with someone else. A thankful heart finds it hard to be jealous with what other people have. Finds it hard to not be able to bear with one another and forgive each other. And so as we finish, I ask, are we thankful? Are we thankful tonight for all that God has done for us through Jesus Christ? Are we thankful for the new identity that he's given us in Christ, that we are raised, that we are hidden, that we will appear with him in glory? And when we allow that thankfulness to spill out into our actions to those that we live in community with and to help them be thankful as well. The Christian life, (laughs) I read this this week, found it quite helpful, is like walking upstairs, playing with a yo-yo, right? Get that man, get that picture in your head. It's like walking upstairs, playing with a yo-yo. Why? Lots of ups and downs, but you're always moving forward. Lots of ups and downs, but you're always moving forward. Moving forward, remembering who you are. Raised, hidden, appear. Will you do that this week? Remind yourself every day who you are in Jesus. And as you do, focus your minds on a new center. Fix your heart, fix your minds on things above, on Christ. Will you put on new clothes? Put off who you were, put on who you now are. And will you do it in community? Will you do it together? Not alone. And slowly and surely as you do, you'll become who God has made you to be take a moment to maybe have the passage open in front of you maybe have a look through some of those lists of what we are to put off put on pray thank god think who your people are that you can be honest and in community with 
Just think through what are the applications for you this week before you and God. Say some prayers and then the band will come up in a minute or so and we'll sing our final song.